so should we just start? Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, both recording. All right. Both recording. <laughs> um, who are you? Well, I'm Adam. And I'm Dax. And this is Cinepraisal. Yay. Um, you can sync that up in post. I will. Yes, I've done that a few times where we say something simultaneously and, and try to just line it up. Simultaneously um, invisible finger quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, today we have a very special movie, which I literally just surprised Adam with. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's funny because I was talking to my roommate earlier. I'm like, yeah, you know, Dax and I are going to record the podcast tonight. And he's like, oh, what are you watching? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I kept, I in part that was because I didn't even know until this morning. But uh, <laughs> and, and but but I also thought it'd be fun to just kind of surprise you. Uh, sure. But this is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Woo. One of, one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, no asterisk to that. Just period. Yeah. Um, so should we should we just hit play? Uh, you have control, my friend. I have control. All right. So three. We're watching this on Netflix, by the way. So three, two, one, play. All right. Monty Python Pictures Ltd. In association with Michael White presents. Yay! And, and we have we have some. Um, we have some fun, silly, <laughs> silly uh, credits. I just noticed this threw me for a second because I've never noticed this, but that, that opening that, music yeah, the, that it's it's alternating channels. Yeah, I I threw me because I was I like, I thought it was. I thought my headphones were broken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, is that was that something wrong with how it was plugged in? But no, it alternates from left to right with that opening music. That's well, so one, funny. one of the things uh, I, I was reading a book about this years ago, uh, there's a great book called Fast, Cheap and Under Control. That's uh -huh. about a lot of like uh, basically big name filmmakers who started off with independent, like low budget, independent movies. And this is one of the movies they talked about. And apparently, like after they shot the movie, they finished it. They took it out for, for test screenings and no one laughed. Right. And like they had to go back and do a completely new, like completely redo all of the sound for the entire movie so that it would be funny again. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things that they, they mainly changed, I know, was the score because yeah. I think it was Neil Innes who was in charge of in charge. <laughs> um, Use your words. Neil, Neil Innes was, I think, in charge of doing the music originally and he um and he did a lot of oh and by the way he passed away just last year uh says december Neil Innes, yeah um but he did a lot of like this with few instruments you know like six piece sets and done like kind of renaissance sort of music and you hear it in um and later on with the tale of sir robin <laughs> um Bradley wrote Sir Robin wrote forth the Camelot. Like that whole part was very, you know, him, but it didn't hold up the entire movie apparently. And so they realized that just using this stock music, it put a seriousness behind everything. Right. Uh, and, and by the way, I adore these credits so much. And <laughs> Moose trained by Ute Hermsker from Like, just the silliness of doing this right up front 
special moose effects, Olaf Prot, moose costumes. Well, and, apparently- and also just like, you know, without giving anything away for people who haven't seen the movie before, which, by the way, I think we've said this many times. If you have never seen this movie before, don't watch it with us first. Come back and watch it with us later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with this movie, I think one thing that's fun is that because of the way it ends... Like it's you have to get the credits out of the way first. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and like if you're gonna make everyone sit through the entire credits for the movie, like you may as well make it awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> Ralph the Wonder Llama. Um apparently John Cleese didn't know about these credits. And so when he sat down to watch the film for the first time, he was treated to all this <laughs> non- nice. nonsense. Um 76,000 battery llamas. 142 Mexican whooping llamas is always my favorite in this one. And directed by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. I just adore the fact that they put their names at the bottom there after all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, RIP to Terry Jones, who also passed away recently. Um, Yeah, we're we're dropping pythons. Yeah. um, I mean... When did Graham Chapman die? Because he was the first, obviously. Um, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. And he's the star of... Yeah, he died in 89. Uh, two years after I was born. He died at 8... At Man, he died at 48. <laughs> that's just... That's such a fucking tragedy. Um, mm. But uh, he, carries the, he carries this and uh, Life of Brian really well. So I, I want to mention that my uh, my Dungeons and Dragons game that's been going for uh, about what just happened? What happened? It just paused on my okay. Okay, uh, it didn't stop on my end, so hopefully we don't have a have a sync issue. <laughs> Still figuring out the uh, distance recording thing, but but right. carry on. You were saying. Uh, but yeah, so like my Dungeons and Dragons game that's been running for about four years now, one of the guys in the group, because we were doing a lot of traveling by horseback, decided that he was going to go out and buy a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, so like in my D&D table that I built, like there's just two halves of a coconut and every time they travel by horse, he breaks them out. <laughs> I have, I don't remember what coconut it was that I did it with, but. At one point, every time I would have a coconut, I would try my my damnedest to try and break it in a way that was split down the middle. And I finally did it one time. And so I say I saved those two halves and I still have them sitting on a on a shelf. And I thought, am I ridiculous for saving these two halves of a coconut? But yes, uh, (laughs) but (laughs) I believe it was last year. So every year, uh, Sarah and Stephen, who are the hosts of the Purcast. Um, Annalise and I did the theme song for the Purcast, and every year they ask us to do an April Fool's version of that theme. And so I think it was last year, it was the horse cast. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> and so I looked over at my shelf and I was like, but the time has come. And I went <laughs> and I picked up the and I picked up the coconuts and that made it into the recording. Uh we put this percussive horse galloping using coconuts uh for that specific April Fool's version of the theme song. Um It is it was now just, your time, brave coconut. Yeah. <laughs> it was just us going, nay, nay. It was very silly. Um, but 
it it just warmed my heart that uh, I finally got an excuse to use that in something. Um, but yeah, I think this stemmed from radio broadcasts. It might have come from the the Goon Show, whatever it was called. Um, the uh, let me look that up. The the Goon Goon Show BBC. Yeah, well, I know originally these like uh, I don't know if it was. I don't think it was the entire crew, but I think at least three of them had a uh, like a college stage show they did. Hmm. Bring out your dad. It's not paused on your end, is it? No. Okay. That's so weird. Yeah, the the Netflix party app is uh special. Is special, shall we say. The the video is frozen on my end, but the audio is still going. And I'm hesitant to touch Do anything. anything. About it? Right. Yeah, because I want to see it, but it now it's like I mean, we're clearly in the same place. I love the just random like hitting a cat against the wall like <laughs> <laughs> he says he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> we are synced. Cool. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> Sorry, now we're just laughing at it. <laughs> this is the one danger of doing this is it's just we're gonna start laughing at everything well i mean no i'd say the danger is that we're gonna end up quoting it but yeah <laughs> must be a king he hasn't got shit all over him <laughs> Oh my god, did you see, like, the whole thing with the, uh, the Capitol Hill, uh, autonomous zone? Like, no. Somebody... Oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. The thing that happened, like, a few days ago? Yeah, when somebody was quoting this movie and, like, Fox News took it seriously. <laughs> what? I can't just call you man. No, you're called Dennis. See, this is what we're talking about. Um, no, but I mean, all of the uh, all the woes of government across time and history condensed <laughs> into an absurdist conversation. Um, so a, a, a small note, I hope I fixed that. Uh, there was a, a desync, so I'm going to make sure it's matched up later, but I had to pause and restart. <laughs> I love that. And here's here's the director terry jones which again when that whole thing went down with fox news taking this conversation seriously <laughs> right. um, like the article that i was reading about that happening then proceeded to uh misidentify the cast in this situation <laughs> saying that it was john cleese dresses the old woman like n no nope most of the time, I mean, quite often, I think all of them dressed in drag at some point across the show. Oh, of course. But, like, there's, but, there's entire, like, skits where it's just all of them as old women. But the, the, I remember, 
I, Terry Jones would say in interviews that he, whenever he dressed like a woman for any of their skits, he always looked like his mom. <laughs> like he's just like I just look like my mom um and uh but it's funny because he always is a very convincing woman when he does yeah, like generally for some, yeah for some reason it really works <laughs> when he dresses up as one I just it always reminds me of uh there was a family guy joke where it just cuts to two Englishmen reading the newspaper and one of them's like you know what's very <laughs> very funny what's that <laughs> a man dressed as a woman ah yes top capital stuff yeah <laughs> was also the the joke that they made of uh was it torturing meg with watching monty python oh yeah and she's like i'm a girl circ- i don't even like the good monty python <laughs> uh back back in the good old days yeah um back to re- supreme executive power just because some watering tart threw a sword at you <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> this this whole scene just in my mind I could not <laughs> Zared in the system I'm being, being repressed <laughs> did you hear that <laughs> see, see, see and like my favorite part, my favorite part is cut. like I, I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about when I saw this in high school and now I'm just like yeah no he's fucking right <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, I haven't seen this movie in years This is making me so happy <laughs> That, But like that cutaway too To the, just this epic music from that whole scene Is just mm-hmm. is, is such good timing and um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the volume down a little bit on my end just because otherwise I'm just gonna end up watching thing. the movie. Yeah. But but um, I was gonna say that my dad and I, this this movie means a lot to me for how it makes me think of my dad, um, specifically because it was one of those films that we would always watch together, and I like all of these scenes we could quote almost verbatim. I mean that's not a unique story. I know a lot of people that. I mean, again, that it. was most of high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I am torn about whether or not I consider Life of Brian... God, whether I consider Life of Brian <laughs> a, a better film than this one. You um, know, I'm not a Life of Brian fan. Well, this thing is, I feel like Life of Brian is, like, more artful, in quotes, in, in how it... Is it, um, though? I think so. I think in some ways it, it is a little more. It feels more of a movie rather than a collection of skits and vignettes, if that makes sense. Sure. The, to me, the the through line of Life of Brian is stronger than Holy Grail. Whether or not it's funnier, I don't know. Um, but some hilarious stuff in Life of Brian as well. Um, and I know that they had a better time making Life of Brian versus this movie, because. If you listen to, you know, we're not going to reiterate a lot of it, but if you do listen to the commentaries for for this film, um, there's several. There's like uh, Terry Gilliam. I'm looking at the DVD I have. Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Um, <laughs> plus general complaints and backbiting by John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. <laughs> That's what it says on the, <laughs> on the back. <laughs> so 
you can listen to the commentaries and it, it'll tell you um, a lot of interesting vignettes. And the special features are wonderful. There's even one where they go to visit the castle again in you know more recent days when they're when they I love release this the fight. DVD. I'm sorry. I lo- I'm I'm just I'm watching this fight is so great. It's just very stupid. But yeah, I mean <laughs> any, any any opportunity that you get to listen to these guys talk about their work I think is you should definitely take. Have you ever seen Lancelot du Lac? No, I have not. Is a French uh, a French film by Robert Bresson. Brayson? I don't know how, how you say his name. Um, but it was a film I watched back in college for, you know, some foreign cinema, some art cinema class. I think it was like New Wave History. But it there is a whole sword fight scene in that movie that looks really similar to this sequence. And apparently they hadn't, I think, because Holy Grail came out. I'm going to check the dates here. Because when did, when did, I just typed Holy Grail. I need to type Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, But, okay, 75 is when Holy Grail came out. And Lancelot du Lac did come out in 74. But I I think Terry Gilliam said that they hadn't seen Lancelot du Lac. And that he remembered uh, seeing that film in a theater at one point and people were laughing during one of the night fighting sequences because they had seen Holy Grail and the scene was so similar that it was just reminding them all of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And so there's this serious French movie that this audience is just like laughing because, because (laughs) they couldn't, they couldn't treat it with any gravitas after this movie had, had come out. Um, (laughs) But I just, I just thought that was kind of a wonderful, because <laughs> I had always wondered about it. I was like, did they see this, and were they making fun of this specifically? But apparently not. It was just a coincidence. And the here we have the self-flagellation. I like all the chickens. Which again, this I had, I didn't know what self-flagellation was when I was a kid, and I'm like, they're just hitting themselves in the face with boards. I don't get it. <laughs> oh yeah, he's trying to he's trying to fly a coconut. <laughs> that's one that's one of the best silliest fucking running jokes. <laughs> that's a lot of well in, in a lot of ways this is like if you've ever seen all of not you specifically, but I'm saying like in general to people listening, if they've seen Flying Circus you know, one of the wonderful things about Flying Circus are the ways that jokes don't necessarily leave. They will stick around. They'll they'll weave in and out of future skits and things will kind of continuously um, blend, melange, I don't know, um, blamange. Uh, they'll continuously become this sort of running uh, soup of jokes. And that carries through in this too. I think there's a lot of moments where it's like, Oh, that that thing from like three scenes ago just came back briefly. <laughs> Got better. Got better. <laughs> <clears throat> Coughing. All right. 
He's still like he's still using the coconuts. <laughs> and if you look closely in this scene, you can see there are points where they'll start they'll start corpsing, like they're just breaking up and trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love this whole string of logic too. <laughs> John Cleese's face acting. Yeah, okay, yeah, right there. Eric Idle bites down bites on the on, scythe. Yeah. <laughs> to prevent himself from laughing. It's just so funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because you can see a lot of the beginnings of Terry Gilliam as a director, obviously, in this movie. Uh, his his film directing debut. Um, just the grime, the dirt. And you'll see, like, smoke everywhere, too. Just gives a sense of just grossness about about this time. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like as much as I like this movie, this is probably my second favorite of the Python movies. My first mm. is uh, Meaning of Life. Meaning of Life. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of um, people I've I've spoken to don't like Meaning of Life, which I find interesting. To me, it's like like I love Flying Circus. I can quote so many of my favorite like sequences from Flying Circus. Meaning of Life feels like yeah, this is Flying Circus with a gigantic budget. Yeah. And that's something to love in its own way. Yeah, um, it's kind of like watching uh, Ghostbusters 2 as opposed to Ghostbusters. It's like that thing that you like, but with way more money behind it. <laughs> yeah, I for Meaning of Life, I think it's more of um, everything that... I would say like some of the best stuff they've ever done and some of the worst stuff they've ever done. Is in that movie? That's actually not true. I wouldn't say the worst, but like, yeah, there's something, there's I, some things in it that, it, yeah, no, I've, I've seen, I've seen some Flying Circus episodes that are not as, <laughs> not as engaging, but, um, but you know, what? like oh, even even the worst parts of Meaning of Life, I think, have their merits to them. Mm. Um, the like the spot the fish is just like. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening, but this is absolute <laughs> insanity, and I'm here for it. I love this conceit too of having the the, the novelization. Of, yeah, the novelization. <laughs> Just all the photos that have been pasted <laughs> into right. this lovingly calligraphed, calligraphy, detailed calligraphied book so, not so, so is somebody you know That's, tweet us whatever the proper so, word for that is that baby by the way i think was mike is was michael palin's son at the Good. time <laughs> yes and I, I love that going forward it's the gorilla's hand turning the pages yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a very feels flying circus the way that they'd have the animated interstitials and those do appear in this as well Speaking of Camelot, is there animation here? Oh well, God's oh, coming up in a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After this, <laughs> to Camelot, 
So for those who don't know, on the bonus features, there is a lovely Lego version of this entire sequence that is just still warms my heart to this day to watch. <laughs> How many, how many times has this sequence been remade by fans in different mediums? <laughs> Queen times were given rhymes that are quite unsingable. Diaphragmalot. It's just, again, it's just me quoting things. <laughs> it's just a... Yeah, and I'm just sitting here watching it. Well, and this is maybe something that um, I feel like Life of Brian expands on a little bit, um, is Monty Python's kind of jokingly a musical in moments. Like, it's never... it's. It, in fact, it's like... It makes fun of it even later on. You'll have the, like, there's no singing while I'm here. But the thing I like about um, moments of Life of Brian and then full-blown in Meaning of Life is the Meaning of Life is a musical in a lot of ways like you have oh, wonderful yeah. wonderful song sequences in that movie and the uh, can... the the universe song is amazing yeah oh here we go yeah here talk here's terry gilliam's animation <laughs> don't apologize <laughs> not worthy this is also a, a very heavily quoted scene for my dad and i um, so something fun to mention about, uh, the Blu-ray, actually multiple release. I have a DVD sitting here and a Blu-ray. Um, and I got the Blu-ray, not just to have it in higher quality, but also because there are lost animations for this film that are on the Blu-ray that you can watch. There's like sequences. I mean, clearly that they're got... not lost. Right. Well, I mean, they were never... <laughs> Sorry, it says it on the back. Deleted lost scenes, <laughs> deleted animations. <laughs> it's it it titles them lost, um, but they are deleted, removed. I think they were lost for a while though, and then they finally found the film reels that had them. Okay, fine. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to justify the the semantics here. Um, and once they had them found, then they uh, restored them, and so there's some really like lovely just additional animation that uh if you're an enthusiast of this movie is worth spending 10 minutes or so of your life watching and it's funny the restoration actually is really nice for this um it for a long time i wasn't used to seeing it in high quality um and then all of a sudden it was like whoa there's so much detail and vibrancy in all this and uh there's one scene later on where I notice it drop because I think they probably didn't have like a film master for a shot or something like that. Right. Um, but uh, but for the most part, yeah, it's I'd, I'd be curious what the process was for, for restoring this. Well, it's kind of like um, Doctor Who, like all classic Doctor Who. There's mm. only one that's available on Blu-ray because... Everything else is on DVD because for the vast majority, they shot it on old uh, TV cameras. Yeah. So there just isn't a high definition version of it. <sighs> there was one story that was shot completely on film, Terror of the Autons. And it was, uh, I think it was the first Third Doctor adventure or one of the first Third Doctor adventures. And that's the only one you can go on Blu-ray. And it looks beautiful. Yeah. 
I think a similar thing happened with the Twilight Zone, where half of because the Twilight Zone was shot on film is the inverse, where that the Twilight Zone was shot on film, but there's like a handful of episodes in one season that were shot on video, and so it's really noticeable when you're watching through them and all of a sudden just one of them looks you know, like a handful of them look really different um but it you know it, i it makes me glad when some of the older stuff was shot in a higher grade format even sure. if it was for tv um it's a shame what happened with doctor who where it's so many lost episodes i mean they they find them every once in a while do um, they yeah so what it is like the bbc had a policy of basically like reusing old tapes so mm. they would basically like erase yeah. old tapes and record new stuff on them but every once in a while they find uh copies at affiliates because again british imperialism right but, you know <laughs> basically every you know local station around the world that played doctor who had a copy of these episodes so every once in a while they'll find one in like you know, the West Indies or somewhere in Africa. What an interesting endeavor that must be to try and, uh, to try and recover them. Uh, right. It, I love John Cleese's hands, the way they're very cat-like. Like perched. penguin? Your penguin, yeah. Yeah, they're little penguin hands. <laughs> penguin hands over the edge. Um, but I was going to say that in relation to the, to Monty Python, um, apparently what happened at one point was they were going Terry Gilliam found out that the BBC was going to like tape over the Monty Python um, flying circus tapes. And so he found out and he was like, well, I'll just buy them from you. <laughs> and so he bought them and had them all. And, and that's then later the only on, reason why we have it. Yeah. And that, and okay. so, so later so, on, actually real quick, I just want to make a comment. This whole thing about them hurling animals over the wall is actually based on a real medieval tactic. Uh, like, as a form of siege combat, they would actually use catapults to uh, fire the diseased bodies of cows. Like, dead, diseased cows. They would hurl them over the walls into a city that they had under siege just to spread, you know, plague and disease and viruses while they're, you know, trying to wait out the people. <laughs> Also, like, I think that the way they shot that was that they had put, like, this shot here when it's close up, obviously they're not, they're not at the very top of that castle of like not. they are in the wide. So when they're yeah. throwing the animals, the the live ones, I think they weren't, thro they weren't throwing them to their doom. Yeah, those live animals fell about three feet. <laughs> um, but, uh. I think what what how many were there any live ones there besides burbs? I wasn't uh wasn't I wasn't paying checking. close enough attention, honestly. <laughs> I just saw the one like duck or goose flap around. I was I was too busy dispensing my, you know, fun little historical facts <laughs> about but, um, diseased corpses. <laughs> but to to close out what I was saying about the um about the tapes was that eventually the BBC came back to Terry Gilliam when later on when they needed them. And yeah, it was, if it wasn't for him, you know, that whole series, <laughs> I mean, they might've been able to find other, you know, copies, but it is just like, wow, man, there's no feeling that they valued what they had or like the history of, of what they were doing at the BBC. <laughs> just like, whatever, this is all disposable media.
it's hard not to just get quiet here because mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone's just sneaking. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is where most of the budget went, was into building... In building the Trojan Rabbit. And, and the crane that they had to rent to lift it in the air when they drop it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking up something really quick. Because I'm blanking on the name of it. So I believe this is Dune Castle uh, that they're mostly filming at throughout this entire movie. And this one you see like a nice wide shot of it, but they didn't have access to a lot of castles um, to use throughout uh, uh, Scotland. So they had to kind of pick, apparently there were only like two that were willing to let them do it. It's Dune Castle is used for pretty much everything except the castle at the end, which is Castle Stalker. Um, but they do a very good job of disguising it. Sure. Which which is just funny to me because uh, like England... So, yeah, clearly they shot this in Scotland, but, like, England itself, really just the whole British Isles are just lousy with castles. Um, I was visiting some friends of mine back in February, and, like, Mm. um, you know, it's just like I was going to stay with some of them. And as we're driving into town, I see this, like, big old thing. I'm like, what is that, an old factory? She's like, oh, no, that's a castle. Like, of course it is. Of (laughs) course it is. And then I proceed to, like, I go from there to, like, the next town over because I was... (laughs) I was I was uh I was in Kenilworth. That's where that castle was. But I went from Kenilworth to Stratford upon Avon, and on my way there, past another castle, and then several like small keeps along the way. And it was just like, just England's fucking lousy with castles. They're yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and it's funny because my my current roommate is English, and he was telling me that like he went to college in Kenilworth and used to LARP at that castle. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Oh, brave Sir Robin. <laughs> I am refraining from singing along personally. Because I know every goddamn word. <laughs> so again, here is uh, Neil Innes, the late great Neil Innes, um, as the leader of, <laughs> of Robin's Minstrels. Um, it's funny because I remember uh, one of the things that I loved that he had done um was a song it's called protest song and it is the funniest thing it's this like old like it's meant to sound like bob dylan and he just shreds the hell out of this harmonica in the funniest way but um i I really just love a lot of the music that he would do for monty python was just really funny and on point (laughs) That's, that's a very good piece of uh it's just the 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 three, yeah. the three skewered against the tree, and the running joke of threes here. <laughs> I love how hurt this guy gets. Ha <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I I really wonder what the genesis of this idea was. Like, what <laughs> is is there some piece of history regarding like a three-headed knight somewhere that they just came across or they just thought this would be ridiculous? I mean, neither answer would really surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tea and biscuits. Because, again, going back to, like, you know, England has a bunch of really weird fucking stories, too. <laughs> um, like, I, I heard a story recently about there's a church in England that, like, is believed to be an extra holy site because when they were building it, this guy showed up who was, like, a master carpenter and, like, helped them build this church. No one knew who he was. And when they left, there was, like... Wait, was that Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pierre Jesu Domine. I, the subtitles here. Dona eis requiem. Gotta love does that Latin. Act, does it actually mean something? I mean, I, I always just assume the joke was that it sounds like, don't, like, don't we ate this requiem or something. Uh, no, it, do it does mean something. I'm, I'm going to look it up while we're doing this. <laughs> A Sigalahad. Yeah, if you want to talk about kind of like lightning in a bottle films, it definitely, you feel the... You feel the energy and the manicness and the intensity of of what they put into trying to make this movie. And I don't know if you can really understate uh understate. I don't know if you can overstate how important this film is and how how much it it cuz the whole idea of like oh a comedy troupe making of a, a feature film was in some ways kind of ridiculous. Like, okay, so "Pia Jesu Domine Dona Eris Requiem" is Latin for "Our Lord Jesus, Let Them Rest." Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, learned something. <laughs> cool. This whole sequence. Carol Cleveland. who was in a lot of uh, Flying Circus. She was kind of their go-to. In Arthurian legend, um, Galahad was basically the one who was like supposed to find the grail. Like mm -hmm. he was destined to find the grail to the point where when they do find the grail, he fucking dies on the spot. Ugh. <laughs> I think this is one of the sequences that um it just suit. If I'm not mistaken, when my dad would show me this, I think cuz my dad would like record stuff on VHS off TV and I don't know if it was something he did on purpose, but he might have, but I think Whatever version he had recorded, either it omitted or he had cut out um, this whole sequence. Yeah. 
I think because I was young. Sure. That he, you know, if he was going to show me this movie, uh, there's a lot of stuff in here, like especially the joke at the end um, about oral sex. Like it's, right. it's not something he probably wanted me to hear. But I remember later on when I was watching uh, as a more grown human, I was watching the movie and this whole scene was in the movie and I had no memory of it. I was like, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? This is such absurd names. You gotta love the music. I try to use, whenever I'm editing things, I, I try to throw in snippets of Holy Grail music here and there if I can, <laughs> just because just it gives me joy. <laughs> Whole brothel. <laughs> oh, no. I have fond memories of this sequence. <laughs> Zoot. I love the heat. <laughs> Wicked bad naughty Zoot. <laughs> <laughs> Grail. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like this... <laughs> Sorry. No, I just love the fourth wall break here. Because this is one of my favorite kinds of humor, which is a joke that doesn't really make sense until you've already seen the film. <laughs> Get on with it. Get on with it. Like, the... None of that means anything until you've already seen the movie once. And I, it makes me think of a joke from um, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, if you ever watched that show. Um, but uh, Stephen Colbert played a character named Phil Ken Seven uh, and Reducto in that show. And there was a joke at one point, because Phil Ken Seven would always laugh and then say a word right or or he would always just like say so, say things loudly and, and so it's like ha ha dangly parts or something like that but it was like uh but he would uh, one time he just i remember him going uh <laughs> he was like i was so wrong dead wrong <laughs> foreshadowing like so he says something like you're like wait what was that about and then the next episode was where he dies his character gets killed uh, so it was like a joke that didn't make sense until the following episode when you realized that that's what happened to him. I, and I just appreciate it when movies or shows can pull something like that off. <laughs> I, I, I think my favorite, uh, 
Well, first off, like I love that he's called Phil Ken Seven because that character in Birdman is Falcon Seven. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think my favorite line from him is like at one point he like he punctuates a conversation with Birdman by just walking out of a window. And right. <laughs> Like, the scene carries on like nothing happened, and then it cuts to him on the ground, and he has a dislocated shoulder, Yeah, and he just turns to this woman, he's like, hey, lady, give me a yank, and she screams and runs away. He's like, ha ha, dislocation. <laughs> and then the gorilla hand comes back. Yep. <laughs> Very delicately turning the page. <laughs> scene 24 fucking swallow <laughs> oh anyway <laughs> does he come back after that I don't remember I don't think he does I think that that the narrator is gone after this point. <laughs> I may be mistaken about this, but I think Terry Gilliam's wife was a makeup artist. Is she really? Uh, so I think that's why he looks so amazing here. <laughs> I'll I'll cut that if it's wrong, but... It's just a fun piece of trivia because he looks grotesque as this character. I, I still feel like my uh, my favorite Terry, Terry Gilliam character is in Meaning of Life, where he plays a Jewish Rastafarian. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, there aren't a lot of comedies. I mean, it's funny because. A lot of times when you think of comedy films, you think of these sort of, I guess disposable is kind of the right word, but like things that are not necessarily made to stand the test of time or that are weirdly relevant. Like jokes will be very relevant based on when they're made. Sure. But it's very surprising that this film in particular has survived as long as it has. Um, Because... I, yeah, the list of artful comedies is not not a huge list. I don't say it doesn't have anything, but well, I, yeah, I would I mean, certainly like, put like Shaun of the Dead or like you know any Cornetto trilogy film. But like, sorry, go ahead. What are you gonna say? Well, no, I was just gonna I was gonna agree with you that like you know we get new comedies every year, but I couldn't tell you what comedy movies came out last year off the top of my head. But I can quote the shit out of this movie. I can quote the shit out of Hot Fuzz and World's End. Like, yeah, there you're absolutely right. Like there are a handful of comedies that really stick and, you know, carry on beyond the year they came out. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, why this one in particular is so special. I would say like um, Marx Brothers stuff had a, also, I mean, if you like that style of humor, ended up having remarkably... Uh, long lifespans as entertaining films like uh, you know, Duck I, Soup is still hilarious to me. I've seen every Marx Brothers film. I watched them when I was a kid with my dad, but mm. um, I don't really remember them that much. Like 
Oh, this is another one of my favorite callbacks. <laughs> right. Yep. I I don't really remember them in great detail because mm. we were always more of a Three Stooges house. Nah, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> and like, I I think a a lot of people dismiss the Three Stooges, but like, if that's the case, you're really only seeing the uh, the slapstick, and you're missing mm. the actual like humor in the writing. Like the right. shit that they say is like topical humor for the time that it came out and if you know the history then it's fucking hilarious i i went to go see i don't remember which stooges film it was but i do remember seeing it um with some uh family and friends one time we went to a a screening of a three stooges movie and i kind of went with that attitude where i was like yeah i'll i'll be nice and go (laughs) you know and go see this thing um but I was laughing a lot in that theater and it was it made me realize that those films in particular do benefit from having an audience and from having you know a big group of people that are all there to to well, laugh and to enjoy them. Not just that but like there there was a there's a joke in one of them where like they're firefighters and Curly like rolls out a hose and it goes across the street and a trolley goes by like two trolleys go by and cut the hose. <laughs> Oh, and, no. like, and it gets cut into five pieces so he goes and he starts picking up the pieces and as he's picking them up he's saying names and those names were the names of like quintuplets that had been born that year and it was like a big <laughs> a big story in the news around that time and like again that's one of those things that like if you know what he's talking about it's fucking funny but right. like otherwise like it means nothing and you're just there for the slapstick <laughs> Sing. <laughs> stop that, stop that. Um I actually used that joke in my uh best man speech for my brother's wedding. Nobody got it. <laughs> Nobody got it. it. Oh, that's that's too bad. <laughs> Listen, Alice <laughs> Herbert. He <laughs> doesn't even know his son's name. Uh Fuck <sighs> wrong with that. <laughs> so this joke here. Huge, huge tracks of land. Tracks of land. <laughs> that apparently, at some point in time, I encountered someone, or someone was telling me about someone who had a shirt on it, and on her shirt it just said "huge tracks of land." <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> it's like that is a woefully esoteric uh, kind of <laughs> kind of shirt to be wearing. <laughs> very very funny you know what also is woefully esoteric the fucking archer <laughs> reference you just made and i appreciate yeah, yeah, it thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> this if i were to put together a list of like top five python skits in the history of everything they've done this absolutely is on that list and it might be number one it is one of the funniest things because the acting is so perfect. The timing is dead on with everything. And it's all done in one shot, just one wide shot. Yeah, It's, it's like very clearly like a who's on first derivative, but yeah. <laughs> it's done so well that you can't get mad about it. Right. Here. Or anyone else. Not anyone. Just me. Just you. Get back. (laughs) 
because <laughs> oh even him <laughs> I don't know why it's like the whole idea that that language is imperfect and that <laughs> no matter what we're just constantly misunderstanding each other as a species <laughs> That and that people are just really dumb sometimes. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes. Abs no singing. Absolutely one of my favorite. <laughs> and there's a payoff for that, too. Just the random hiccuping. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's the thing. All, like... Even the, like, the Monty Python episode, like, you know, Flying Circus episodes that aren't, you know, extremely funny, the writing's very tight. Yes. Like, they set up and pay off without fail. I, I, I love this. Like, <laughs> trying to covertly write the letter and tie right. it to an arrow. <laughs> Just them smiling. This whole motion is just great. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the most the you most ineffective arrow shooting in the history of all time. You saw nothing. Uh, I was gonna say something, but it's it's gone. Whatever it was. Oh, that's so funny. You you heard it go left to right. No. That wasn't what I was noticing, but I Concord is a reference to one of the um one of the flying circus skits where um Dennis Moore, who's like a Robin Hood parody character who keeps stealing, he steals from the rich to give to the poor, stupid bitch. Uh that, that's like but he, he ends up stealing so much from the rich to give to the poor that the poor become rich and then now he's stealing from the poor to give to the rich. But his horse's name in that was Concord, I believe. So it's just funny that his, you know, accomplice here... And Dennis Moore was played by John Cleese in Flying Circus. So it's funny that, like, th there's just this other character named Concord. I don't know if that was an intentional... <laughs> they just like that name. <laughs> I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Idiom, sir? Idiom, sir? <laughs> <laughs> this is where I learned the word idiom. <laughs> I'll just stay here then, shall I, sir? <laughs> I, I, uh, I use that a lot when uh, somebody's like, all right, I'm going to run and do this. And I'm like, all right, I'll just stay here then, shall I? <laughs> Um, That's the thing. I've hit a point in my life where, like, I'm making references for no one but myself. Oh, I've always. <laughs> That's been it's been ninety percent of the time for me. If someone gets it, then great. But you got to make yourself laugh. Oh yeah. Well, I f I feel like that's. I would say I said that that was the attitude of the genie in Aladdin, in, in the original one. Yeah, that um, makes sense. That like Robin, you know, Robin Williams plays that character like. Someone who, because they can see beyond the 
barriers of time and space, uh, they have this infinite knowledge and are just stuck in this one point in time. And nobody gets the jokes he's making. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the doctor all over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've always just thought that guard was weirdly good looking. Yeah. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Good faces. He looks like an action figure. I, I just adore it's the same piece of footage. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> just the, the constant murder. This feels very, very Terry Gilliam going off the rails and how bloody and intense everything is. That's a good plank fall off a... He, like kicks her. Ah. <laughs> oh my lord! So much rehearsal that probably went into all of this. <laughs> now you're not allowed to enter the room. <laughs> I I I think you're I think you're maybe like a second ahead of me, but it's fine. <laughs> no, that's somewhere. It must be someone. So if you look in this scene, the wind is actually blowing very hard and the torches near their heads are are dangerously close. <laughs> like I can't imagine Michael Palin like not feeling how hot that is like 2 inches away from his head. As soon as money is involved, you know, very like, well, sure. yeah. from Camelot. <laughs> Thud. It's like a splat. All this <laughs> knock through and made into... And the music kicks back in. <laughs> hold it, hold it. <laughs> ah. So anyway. <laughs> We've said nothing of value for thirty seconds. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. I'm just watching it at this point. 
<laughs> like I'm sure this, someone listening to this is gonna get some some sort of scintillating conversation out of us at some point, but I don't know when it's gonna yeah. happen. So uh, the joke here, which is maybe lost on people who aren't from the UK, um, is that this whole character that Michael Palin's playing is very like a Yorkshire, the Yorkshireman attitude um, and accent. And they have an entire skit in, I don't know if it's in Flying Circus. I think it's in the live at the Hollywood Bowl um, uh, performance, if you ever have seen that. But it was an older skit from uh, from one of the shows that preceded Python that they'd worked on. And uh, it's the four Yorkshiremen, which is like four characters like this that are all kind of like trying to one-up each other about how hard their life has been up until that point. It's very like, when I was a kid, you know, kids today have it too easy. We would come home at night and our dad would beat us in our sleep. It would just keep escalating into something like even worse. Right, yeah. Um, but I like that, like the, the whole Yorkshire attitude kind of made it, made it itself a recurring character in a way in, in all the different Python things. <laughs> and again, I love that, you know. I feel like it's a kind of meta commentary on the fact that the filmmakers kind of want to make a musical, but right. they're just not, you know, <laughs> the film is itself is not letting them do it. <laughs> and that's the thing that I love about all like Flying Circus and this movie is that it's the thing where you feel like the art takes on a life of its own and it is somehow sentiently like arguing with the creator right I, I i love i love the idea of like <laughs> the just some sort of like internal struggle between the artist and the art right like at, at a certain point you've lost control of this like it's become a living <laughs> thing that you're just fighting at that point right and that would be i think what makes a lot of um certain lonely island songs really funny to me like um the sax man's a good example where it's like Jack Black is so amping up this one character of the sax man. And the sax man just keeps letting him down at every turn. Um, but then also like Captain Jack Sparrow is another fun one where it's like th them trying to have a serious song that that keeps getting interrupted by Michael Bolton's film obsession is just so absurdly fun. And I feel it's like very much in the spirit of all of this. You know, I, I haven't listened to a lot of Lonely Island. Like, I've, <laughs> I've heard a few of their songs, like, you know, the ones that got big through Saturday Night Live. But right, right. I think one of my favorite ones is from that movie they did recently. Uh, oh, never pop stop. star, never stop, yeah, never, never stop, stop, never stopping. Uh, <laughs> fuck Bin Laden. Yeah, <laughs> that one is kind of amazing. It's, it's, it's so good, but it's like... It's especially good to me because in the uh, the music video for it, they have uh, Vanessa Bayer is the girl that he's like, you know, trying to take to bed. And like, I fucking love Vanessa Bayer. Like, she's just this like really awkward, beautiful girl. Um, I don't know if you've seen the most recent season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but she was fantastic in that. Oh, these are the two shots, by the way, that degrade in quality. And now it looks fine. Anyway, carry on. 
Yeah. Um, I haven't watched a lot of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, it is but definitely everything I've worth seen f- your time. It is one hundred percent worth your time. Yeah, everything I've seen from it is very funny. Um, well, it's it's from I, the same guys who did uh, Parks and Rec, but it issues the. Uh, yeah, and Sandberg's in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Right, right. Ninety Nine Brooklyn Nine Nine. It it issues the documentary format. Yeah, and like, it's, it's it's just I don't know how to describe it, but it's very very well done. It's it's clearly it's the middle ground between Parks and Rec and uh, the Good Place. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the same guy went on to the Good Place, but it's the middle middle ground between Parks and Rec and the Good Place. Holds up and just holds up a herring. Oh, please. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're not. This is very, that's a very, you're no fun anymore vibe to it. <laughs> it is. You wouldn't get very far in life not saying is, but you wouldn't get very far in life not saying it either. So. Also, just the fact that there's a giant chicken on his shield is just the greatest detail in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Far from it. Oh, the guy playing the recorder in the back is the, like, oddly attractive guard from earlier. (laughs) Gotta reuse your actors. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking, like, I love how many, like... Two characters in this shot are Terry Jones. <laughs> right. But, like, I love how many times that, you know, like, the same, you know, like, you know, all the Pythons are playing so many characters throughout this. And of course, oh, those yeah. characters are going to run into each other at some point. And you have to be very clever with the framing that you start using. Beast of R showing its face a little early. Yay! And this is, again, like the Gilliam animation is the, just the absurdest glue tape, tape, you know, holding together for us to eat Robin's minstrels. And there was much (laughs) rejoicing. This moment here, if I could like encapsulate and just drink the timing of, of the tree when it falls... Like, if I could somehow absorb that timing into my entire being and everything I do, (laughs) it's it's just so perfectly executed. And I think that brings up something important regarding humor, Um, because I'm not necessarily a, like, terribly funny person in real time, but when I'm making something... I focus a lot on how I can time something or, or I think you know, you're pretty funny. Oh, thank you. I, but it's, it's, I would not I have suggested that. to do a podcast with you if I thought you were boring. <laughs> well, much a prish. Um, I wouldn't have agreed if, uh, I didn't think the same for you. See, and you're, you're on about timing, but look at you saving all that time by not finishing the word. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah. 
Now there's a, um, it's kind of a, a, a misnomer, but um, the, the, there's some people who think that John Cleese improvised this line about being Tim, <laughs> the enchanter. Um, but he actually has refuted it in interviews and, um, and I, I think like on the commentary itself, he actually does, uh, mention how this was, uh, a scripted thing between him and Graham, but it does seem like he's making it up. He, he just kind of like, uh, says it <laughs> in that way. Um, and apparently there isn't a lot of improv in this movie, um, one of the few moments or is earlier, I think, when he says the hasn't got shit all over him line. I think that was an ad lib. Um, but for the most part, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, very strictly written out. <laughs> I just noticed that the sun on King Arthur's chest has a mustache. Oh, you didn't notice that? I've literally never seen that. That's so funny. Yeah, and like uh, Sir Lancelot's wearing a helmet right now, right? Uh, because John Cleese. Yep. Don't waste any more of your time. I think we've all been in a situation like this where we're trying to talk to someone to an enchanter. Yeah, no, that happens all the time to me. <laughs> right. Right. But we're trying to talk to an enchanter who just won't, uh, no matter how we try to present our own way of talking, it just feels awkward and like we don't know how to talk to that person. <laughs> uh, in that situation, what I usually do is I quote Sam Rockwell from Iron Man 2, okay. where, where it's just like, like I'll just stop mid-sentence and be like, I don't know, man, I'm getting nothing off you. You're, you're like a sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are we doing here? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> I can't riff off of your personality in any way. <laughs> I'm realizing that uh, their chain mail, well, like, mm -hmm. so Arthur's wearing actual chain mail, but if you look at uh, Michael Palin and uh, Terry Jones, like, that's just knitting. Like, they're essentially just wearing, uh, like, sweaters. Would have been so... Oh my god, that would have been so uncomfortable. And just overly warm. I well probably not. In Scotland? Oh, I guess if it's cold there. Yeah, not every that, not everywhere is Los Angeles, Dex. Well, no, it made I me keep think having of, to tell um, people that. <laughs> but it made me think of in Lord of the Rings when they were making it, the um they had an issue with chain mail. And I think they ended up making fake chain mail by like taking centric performance, taking plastic washers and like they basically handmade a lot of plastic chain mail for Holy Gra for Holy Grail for Lord of the Rings specifically. In fact, in Lord of the Rings, they commented on how hard it was to do peasants um, in two towers because it just automatically makes you think of this movie. And so they were very careful to try to like avoid visual similarities as much as possible with Monty Python. That's cause... pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they had to come up with like a special handmade plastic chain mail 
that two people specifically that was all they did on Lord of the Rings was was make all of that. Well, now I just want to find a knitting pattern so I can make the chainmail shirt and coif. <laughs> Every rabbit. I when I was a kid, I think this bothered me that it was a rabbit because I was so being amped up for something amazing. Yeah, same. <laughs> but as an adult, like I wouldn't I would not want it to not be the well, rabbit because it's, it's so iconic. It's a iconic. completely different experience watching this as an adult. <laughs> like it's funny in both scenarios, but like it's a different kind of funny as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit stew. Yeah, Sir, uh, Sir Bors, who we like previously hadn't seen. That wasn't me. This is a good excuse for them to like not have to manage as many people right. for the rest of the film. Like just kill off most of them. <laughs> I I love when it's like they're like bouncing it off their shields. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the squeak also, noises. There was there was a quick shot just now of Sir Robin that is oh, very right. clearly where they got the, oh, the yes. still photos. They for got the the, book. I was I was thinking that too. Of him being scared. Yeah. <laughs> three. <laughs> the running five three joke. <laughs> this is a fun hero shot of, of all five pythons yeah. at once. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. I, I remember in college, there was like a, a day where they had like a big poster sale in the lobby mm -hmm. of our dorm. And it was just like, it's all of the go-to posters that every college student has in their dorm. Like looking back on it now, it's funny. It's just like, oh yeah, they straight up had a day where they just sold us all the posters that every college student has in their dorm. But one of them <laughs> is uh, like the shot of the five of them shooting this movie and they're all standing there holding coffee cups because it was shot in between takes. <laughs> like they're in full, full, like you know, in their suits of armor and and costumes and everything, just standing there holding coffee cups. <laughs> Reminds me of the photos from Lord of the Rings of like when the orcs were eating lunch. It says, "Do you just see like two orcs sitting down?" But like, how yeah. did the orcs know what a menu is? <laughs> That is, I think they bring that up. I think in the commentary that that is like slightly world breaking. That <laughs> that they say it meets back on the menu. <laughs> so does that mean that orcs had some kind of <laughs> some kind of structure of of, of eating <laughs> at restaurants? I remember one time I said to my dad when he was going on about something, and it's just I skipped down a bit, father, and he. <laughs> <laughs> Just like broke up laughing. <laughs> Neither count thou two. 
It's just like, it just reminds me of this passage. I, I can never remember what the what the book or chapter or, or verse number is, but like me and my sister crack up in church every time, which is this one passage is like, you know, to know God is to love God for to know love is to know God for God is love and love is God. And like, it's like, right. it's like three paragraphs of this. <laughs> It's well, and I I think that they very specifically you know said that was the kind of stuff they were thinking of when they wrote that whole segment. I'm sure <laughs> the modern world encroaching upon this strange film. Oh yeah, because they were just where the knights were, the knights who said knee. Yeah, because the little picket fences in the the shrubbery. Yeah, which means that sound traveled quite a ways, right? Yeah, because they've been traveling for over a year since then. And if, if I'm not mistaken, they also said they had a very hard time finding a cave that looked like a cave, or like your idea of what a cave is. Right. <laughs> it is true. It's very hard to find like a perfect cave if you need one for a set. Why the fuck would there be Aramaic in a cave in Scotland? <laughs> well, they're not. <laughs> I mean, in the narrative. Uh, yeah, in the narrative. Where are they, Dax? Tell me. Are they? Is the movie itself taking place in Scotland? I'm not the biggest on but Arthurian it, it, lore. Yeah, our, our, like Arthurian legend, it's all within the British Isles. Like, they never right. leave the British Isles. So regardless, why the fuck would there be Aramaic? <laughs> ah, I just say it. Unless it was like a crusader who like came back and he had learned Aramaic, but even then, Arthurian legend predates the Crusades. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I mean, like, where I love when a, uh, something just kind of takes too many pauses. It just it just starts kind of losing its steam for some ridiculous tangent. It's just all of them contemplating what <laughs> the sound could be. <laughs> Run away. A battle cry for a generation. Several generations. Per personally, I've always loved the way John Cleese goes, Jesus Christ! <laughs> is it Cleese or Graham Chapman that says it? Because I, I think Graham says it at one point. Yeah, yeah, it is Graham Chapman. Jesus Christ! And this is my favorite conceit. The animator was stricken by a heart attack? Yep. Was no more, and I I appreciate that he goes to to line art. He loses his color before he disappears. This is just a nice, <laughs> a nice subtle detail. <laughs> and that's the fun thing. You can justify like if you're working in an absurdist comedy, you can justify like things that 
No, that wouldn't work in any other kind of genre. No. But here, yeah, it's kind of like in um uh I want to say in Emperor's New Groove, one of my favorite jokes is just when they get to the end and and then Yzma and Kronk show up and 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 they're just like, "What, what I, how'd you get here before us?" And she's like, oh, "Oh, how did we, Kronk?" Oh, you got me. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. And he like pulls down the map showing what happened, how they like fell into a cliff. <laughs> and it's like, but then that's it. That's all it needs to do is have that one joke about it. I gotta say, that, was a, that was a pretty good Patrick Warburton on your part. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorites to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really do impressions. Like, at one point, I had a good Obama and then just lost it. <laughs> I've had a few voices I used to be able to do. When I was, when I was younger, I would like doing Jesse and James. Well, I can, from, I can do Gollum from, Team from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Who, who? I can do Gollum. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a horrible Gollum. Just now. <laughs> that was me. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. We ate it, precious. Yeah, I, I've never gotten down a good Gollum. Okay, I'm done. Here the other side, DZ. <laughs> I seek the Holy Grail. <laughs> and now the stakes are quite clear. And that bridge. I mean, you, some might know the story, but like that bridge was, of course, very unsafe. Of course. Um, but um, Graham Chapman was going through, you know, alcoholism, was going through like a, a whole addiction during this period of time. And, um, you know, he's a mountaineer and yet he was like up, you know, he was dealing with his his alcoholism hold, hold, hold on let's let's get this payoff <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> as you were the, enti the entire movie setting up well no it's perfect because what i was going to say is here you know he had to walk across this bridge um but <laughs> he because I think he had the shakes or something, it, it actually, he ended up not being able to do it. And the only one of them that ended up actually crossing, I believe, is Terry Jones. Um, and all the other pythons were a bit too uh, nervous as well to attempt it. But, right. but yeah, it's just, I mean, look at that bridge. It looks like it's about to fall apart. It's just to give perspective to, you know, what they were going through like right there you see him almost misstep uh terry jones <laughs> it's like that seems so precarious yeah and you know the the budget on this was so low they probably didn't have like great safety precautions underneath that bridge no i i really don't think they did 
arrested. And there's something kind of moving about how uh, over the course of this whole film, it does, like, it goes from the big group. Like, it starts with the two of them. Oh, yeah. I, I was or just the... I was just thinking that. Like, when it comes down to just the two of them at the end, and they're making their way to the castle, like, there is, there's definitely some almost, it's not quite emotional, but it's, there's something of just like, yeah, you know what? We made it. It's the two of us. We've made it. Yeah. You know? And it just starts, it, it's not him, it's not the two of them specifically at the beginning, but it does start with two people and it ends with two people before the army comes out. But yeah, like you're saying, it's just that feeling of like, yeah, they're the two survivors on this quest. You know, poor went um, out for the homies we lost along the way, but the two of us made it. Yeah. <laughs> and it does make you think about like what a lot of those, you know, those kinds of quests of yore, how, yeah, many lives are lost in pursuit of ridiculous goals. <laughs> and yeah, of course, this bored the hell out of me as a kid, but there is a feeling of grandeur. And it's all in service of a joke that's going to happen. Sure, but even, like, I mean, how many, how many like, I can just think of so many, you know, stories of course not specifically off the top of my head but like the idea of this spectral boat just appearing to carry them to their destination you know i get what they're going for even if they had no money to really pull it off yeah <laughs> like it looks pretty good yeah it's at an end yeah perfectly I just love this castle on an island. Beautiful, beautiful shot. I mean, that castle on the island makes way more sense than the mansion on the island from the woman in black. Call back to a previous episode. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our episode on the woman in black. And just all this epic music is just interrupted. Jesus Christ! There it is again. Special shout out to uh, our fan Lola Clay, who I know actually did watch that episode. So you know, oh, cheers yay. to you. Thank you. That's <laughs> Camelot, and yeah, you can tell. Uh, that's another thing I love is the way like Graham Chapman just amps up the anger at this point. Like he has had it. He is fed up with with how much they've had to endure only to be like stopped by the same frenchman right like when he, when he calls in the army it's just like with a, an attitude of you know what fuck it <laughs> and it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense it's again like the, the it's operating on a surreal logic by this point where that kind of stuff just works tiny-brained wipers of other people's bottoms. That's a good thing I appreciate about having the subtitles up, is it does... Oh, God. <sighs> oh, it looks so gross. <laughs> Again, real thing. Historically accurate. They would they would dump shit on Yep, on, on the invading armies. 
face bugger folk. Uh, one of the nice things about having subtitles on is I can just read all of these ridiculous insults that they're saying. <laughs> Could, <laughs> I didn't quite know how to how to write that one. So it was like K dash knights. <laughs> nice. Knights. <laughs> How did they walk across the whole Don't 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 ask questions. <laughs> they very clearly needed a ship to get there, but whatever. <laughs> and this is um you know, I think they had called like the local schools and or, like basically just put out the big ad of like, we're doing this big shot. We need anybody in town who wants to be an extra to show up. Well that's like um I think it was for the Mandalorian for uh, like the the final two episodes of the Mandalorian. There's a sequence where there's just like a shit ton of stormtroopers, and mm. they actually called in the five hundred first cosplayers legion. Oh, that's fun! <clears throat> it's like when they made the movie Gettysburg, and they just got a bunch of like Civil War reenactors to come out with their own gear. Yeah, why not? You've got a bunch of people who already do this like for a living. <laughs> And take it very seriously. Yeah, it's a very serious hobby for them. I always love that stoic face right there. Both both those stoic faces. I really want. Yeah, I it's... really want that knitted coif. <laughs> I think off in the distance, you can still hear them, like m making fun of them this whole time. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was very clever camera angles in this whole sequence that let them, um, you know, look like they were filming an army. But you can see there's not a lot of rows behind them there. Right, yeah. <laughs> a lot of close-ups. <laughs> and yeah, the editing sells it. And again, as a kid, hated this ending. Same, same. Could not stand this ending. But the movie's too iconic for its own good, and you wouldn't... It's like... <laughs> you wouldn't want it to, like... There there almost isn't an ending that this movie could have that would make it satisfying. Takes away his... I mean... I think, if nothing else, the part that bothers me is, like, it clearly wasn't Arthur. <laughs> yep. That's the movie. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, did... I'm glad you suggested this one. Oh, thank you. I I'm glad that you were down for it. <laughs> and then the best intermission music of all time. Uh, um... I, I actually... Um... My church back in Jersey, like we haven't had an organist in a while, so we have to play the like all the hymns off of people's <laughs> phones, just plugged into the PA. Right. And like one day they used my phone, so of course, like at the end of the service, as everyone's walking out, I just like put on the intermission music from this. <laughs> you snuck this in. Ah, <laughs> oh, good times. The um, yeah, I you know, it's it's been a little while since I watched this one. I do remember I. I might tell this story, but at Santa Barbara, um, John Cleese used, I don't think he does anymore, but he used to live around in Santa Barbara. And so every year 
he when I was at UCSB, he would do these screenings where they would be like, an, you know, at the main theater, they would show uh, this or Life of Brian. They did a fish called Wanda one year um, and John Cleese would host. He would, you know, he'd be there at the beginning and they'd answer questions afterwards. Um, so I have like a lovely memory of seeing this at at my college and having him talk about it afterwards. And, uh, and he, I remember, I, th- I like, I had asked him a question or something, but like, for whatever reason, while answering it, he had said um, that, that, you know, people aren't, Americans aren't always as fond of um, the way that Holy Grail story goes. And I just said to him, I never liked the ending. <laughs> so I got to say it to John Cleese himself That's that nice. I didn't like the ending of this movie. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. I'm glad you got to live out that moment. <laughs> but um, he, you know, he was very polite in response to me being kind of a dick but um uh it was you know i i loved hearing him talk about um his time making these and it they'll always hold a special place in my heart uh as i'm sure it holds in the hearts of many um but do you have any closing thoughts regarding this holy grail of a film really Honestly, no. Like, I wish I did, but it, honestly, I feel like this podcast is just going to end like the movie. We're just like, all right, we're done now. We're done. We're going <laughs> to gonna put a hand on the... I'll put a hand onto my mic. That's probably going to sound terrible. I just did. <laughs> it didn't sound that bad, but yeah. Uh, well, I mean, let's do some housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, with, so, with yeah, I'm... Five seconds left on the clock for the movie. Yes. Um, follow us at... Uh, no, uh, follow, follow us at Cinepraisal on all the things. Yes, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we are Cinepraisal. Um, I'm Adam, you can find me, uh, I'm at Dungeons and Daleks on most social medias. Uh, that's with the letter N, not an ampersand or anything. Uh, Dax? I am at Dax Schaefer on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the life, I don't know. <laughs> at everything um yeah i'm starting to i'm working on a few things that i'm gonna start putting out into the world on my instagram so very cool <laughs> i sound so old uh and you check out my website uh of distantlands.com i've got like my short films and my novel and all that fun crap but uh yay go read his book yeah, read my book that this guy drew the cover for. Anyway, uh. anyway, that's enough shameless plugging. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to Cinepraisal, and hopefully we're going to be trying to get these out on a much more regular basis than we did previously. Yeah, well, and we've caught up with where we were, um, and hopefully uh, the audio quality sounds... That's sorry. That that phrase I said didn't make sense just now. But we, the old episodes we had recorded a long time ago, and the ones you're hearing now are very recent, so... Um, we but, got better uh, mics, better setups. Yeah. Yeah. We had a little bit of an issue last for the Matrix episode, but um, hopefully it, we we have a few precautions in place to hopefully make that not be a problem this time. Um, fingers so, crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. By the way, one last thought here. I love that the thumbnail on Netflix is like the the rabbit with like a bloodstained mouth staring straight at you. Yeah. So yeah. Very fun <laughs> thumbnail. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and um, until next time, shall we say keep, it? Yeah, keep we shall. Keep watching movies. Keep, keep watching. Keep, <laughs> all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. All right. One, until next time. Two.
three. Keep watching movies. <laughs> totally didn't edit that. Nope. To make it sound. Nope. To make it sound correct. <laughs> All right, bye.